Amen. Hello. Today is our episode on the Disney court case and funny childhood stories. We are starting yep. off with court case. Okay, so when we were first complaining about Disney, I found this uh, link to, basically, it said criticisms. And so I was like, ooh, I wonder what other people said about Disney that I might agree with or might not agree with. And I found there was this one court case that was absolutely ridiculous. So this guy, Mr. Um, Mandeville Anthony, a hyphenated name, he he came up with an idea for a bunch of video productions, like TV shows, um, short movies, um, actual movies about a anthropomorphic car. And it would go on races around the world and all this other stuff. Well, he claimed that he had a contract with Disney where Disney could not use his concept for two years. Well, five years after he came up with the concept and after they signed the contract, Disney came out with cars. So he sued. Well, the problem is he, he got turned down at a lower court, so he appealed to a higher court and eventually reached, um, I think, the Supreme Court. And they said, okay, well, we need to look at what Disney has published and we need to look at what Mr. Mandeville Anthony's um, ideas were and we need to compare them to see if there are any actual similarities and so they did um, but they had a little trouble in the beginning because Disney was like I don't really want to give you the script of the movie I don't really want to give you the planning that went into it well the courts basically said um, Yes. Okay, where did I stop? Um, something with Sue. Sue? Uh, um, court case, some court denied it, or he, Disney refused to give someone the script. Ah, yes. So Disney refused to give the, the courts the script and the, the planning behind the movie. And so the courts basically said, uh, no, we do need to see all of this to determine whether or not your work is similar enough to uh, Mr. Mandeville Anthony's to qualify for a, an infringement. And so Disney had to hand it over. And the courts looked through it. And basically, they ended up saying, um, I don't even know why you managed to get up to this level, because not only are there many differences between the anthropomorphic cars, such as in the actual movie Cars, the eyes are on the windshield versus Mr. Mandeville Anthony's designed for cars. The eyes were the headlights. So there were, there were tons of differences such as that. Also, they, they, they determined that an anthropomorphic car making a bunch of races around the world isn't a copyrightable subject because it's so vague. And so they said that Mr. Mandeville Anthony basically had nothing to go off of, not to mention that he sued them five years after their two-year contract was signed. So it was, it you can do that if there's something called a delay of um, discovery. So if you don't discover that somebody did something until later, but you do have proof that they did it while they were not supposed to, 
then that's something that they can work with. But in this case, they Disney did not do anything until five years after the two-year contract was up. And so the court said, basically, you have nothing to go off of for three different reasons and just gave him a huge smackdown. And so I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. I don't know why he would go to the court. Money. Money's the answer to everything. No, 42 is the answer to everything. That's the answer to life. The universe and everything. Okay. That works. <laughs> is that is that it on the Disney court case? Yeah, that's it. It's just, it's a little short thing about how it was, I just thought it was amusing. Okay. Well, now we are on to, I guess, funny childhood stories. Alrighty. You want to go first? Not necessarily. <laughs> Why not? I don't know. I don't okay. Um, about a story of mine. All right. Um, when I was little, I did ballet and gymnastics and tap dance and all this other princessy, frou-frou, girly stuff. I think when I was about four or five, I remember this very vividly. I had my first ballet lesson. And in this studio, there was the dance area in the middle of the floor. And then around the perimeter, there were a bunch of chairs for the moms and sometimes dads to sit in and wait for their kids. Well, we showed up about an hour before my section of the lesson started. And so uh, we were basically watching older girls dancing. And me and my mom were sitting there. And then I was super adventurous back then. And I didn't have any concept of social boundaries. And so I was walking around talking to all the other moms. And I remember I had asked my mom how long it was until mine. And she had said 45 minutes. Well, I didn't really have a concept of time. So I kept telling every single one of the dance moms, I have 45 minutes until mine. I have 45 minutes until mine. Until suddenly I was actually saying that to like the last mom. And then the instructor said, Alrighty, everybody for such and such a class, come out onto the dance floor. And I was like, oh, whoops. And I was so embarrassed because of that, that I didn't even dance that first day. I just literally stood in the back and just didn't even move, except for one dance move. I remember it was, um, it was a little shuffle to the side, and then like you did a little Superman arm. It was kind of cute. But um, that was the only one I would do. So I would just stand there until the song came around to that part, and then I would do that, and then I would just stand there. And I remember that very vividly. Eventually, I got um, a lot more comfortable, and I was better and stuff, but... That first day was, that first day was interesting. At that time, were you living in the U.S.? No. Okay. Um, now I guess it's my turn. Well, since we're talking about like after school hobbies, whatever crap, um, I guess I'll say a story about when I did MMA. Um, ah, here's the one. I was doing MMA, actually, I think it was my first class. Yeah, it was my first class, and I walked in. I had no idea what was happening, and there was so many males there, <laughs> which was scary to me because I live in a house of females, and all I saw was females. So I was scared in the first place. Um, when my introduction class started, just me and the some and two senses um 
they they asked me to do a kick. Well, they asked me to do a lot of kicks, but there was this one kick that they asked me to do roundhouse that uh, no spinning roundhouse, which was now I'm perfect at I can do it perfectly. Then not so much. So first time I did it, I I spun around, I fell on the floor. Then I started crying and then for some reason started cussing at the floor. <laughs> That's the thing that was wrong with me. When I got hurt, I would cuss at the thing that hurt me. Even if it was inanimate? Yes. That's that's actually pretty funny. I did that a lot. Now your <laughs> turn. Um Okay. So, I remember this other time when I was about maybe five or six, and I, so there's um, a a sickness called croup, and you're not supposed to be getting it past the age of four, but the way my medical history was, I had it every single year in spring from the time I was three to the time I was nine, and where we were living, there wasn't very many, very much access to doctors in the emergency room. There was usually only two on call at one time. I would wake up in the middle of the night, one spring, and I wouldn't be able to breathe. My throat was so constricted. I couldn't inhale. I couldn't exhale. And so I would be panicking because I was a little kid, right? Well, a few years into it, I got more comfortable with it, but at the same time, it was still scary. So instead of like panicking and you know, trying to scream and not and not doing well and fainting and all that, I would just kind of get up and go wake up my mom and then we would drive to the emergency room. And I remember it was the third year that I had it that we went to um, the emergency room when we had a different doctor. The first two years we had the same doctor and he understood that while you're not supposed to get croup past the age of four, it's still possible. And so he would give us, he would give me um, a steroid. It started with a D it was really, really bitter, though. And um, what, Josh? No. And so he would give that to me, and I would take, I would drink it. It was really, really bitter. And then I would get some apple juice, and then we'd go home. And for the next week or so, I felt like I had pneumonia or something like that. But eventually, I got better. The third time we went there, there was this other doctor. And he kept saying, no, it's not croup. It's laryngitis. Well, croup is the way a child's body reacts to the laryngitis bacteria. And so it might be laryngitis bacteria, but you can't go about it the same way as you would with an adult. And so my mom was like, you need to give her this steroid. She's not going to get over it unless she has that. You can't treat this as actual laryngitis. And she knows her crap because she's a nurse and she's been a nurse for about 30 years now. And this doctor just absolutely refused. She's like, no, it's laryngitis. It's laryngitis. And eventually she was just like, listen, give me the steroid. I'm going to give it to my daughter. If anything happens after that, we'll blame it on us. You're not liable. We'll do whatever, you know? And she ended up having to sign a few papers. And then they finally gave me the um, steroid and I went home and everything was fine. Well, the fourth year we actually got him again and I was so mad. And so I would like, I went home after we finally got him to acquiesce again and give me the, de- the, the steroid. And I was like, mom, I don't like Dr. Laryngitis. 
I still can't remember his name to this day, but I call him Dr. Laryngitis because he was so adamant that it was laryngitis. It wasn't croup. It couldn't be croup. I was like seven years old. This is not a thing that should be happening. So I called him Dr. Laryngitis. It was that I still remember him. Well, that he sounds like an asshole. He was. Um, well, now my turn. Doctor story, since I'm just going off of your stories. Okay. And that's reminding me of mine. Okay, so when, well, when I was really, when, like, nine months old, actually, exactly nine months old, um, I was put into, well, I wasn't put into foster care then. I was put into foster care at four months, but I was uh, fostered by the lady I live with now. And we went to a doctor and the doctor told her I would not be able to speak, talk, walk, or pretty much do anything, pretty much be a vegetable. I would be blind and deaf and all that stuff. And he said I would die by the age of three. So I passed three. Um, By the time I got to age 10, we went back to see that doctor just because he wanted to check up on me. It wasn't really an appointment. It was just, he just wanted to see how I was doing. And first thing I came in, first thing I said when I came into the room was like, ha, you're wrong. You need a new degree. <laughs> and he was like, what? I'm like, I'm still alive and still breathing, ain't I? <laughs> he he w- walked out of the room. He was not that happy, but, <laughs> but. My mom, my mom uh, secretly gave me a high five. Nice. But, but I, I'm still breathing. And now that do- that doctor, if he knew how old I was now, he would he would probably be really because he was 100 percent sure I would die. Along with <laughs> the rest of his co-workers and he was like, there's no way, no way, no drugs, no nothing can help him. And if if I saw him now, I'd be like, ha, almost, I am so and so many times what you said I would die at. So screw you. <laughs> Get a new job. That reminds me of a story. So my, I was, I'm my mom's first child. I'm the oldest. And when she was pregnant with me, she went in for an ultrasound. Well, based on the dimensions of my face and my facial features, the doctor said that I would have Down syndrome. And he gave mom a whole list of things that she could do about it. Um, One of them included abortion. She immediately said, "Uh uh-uh, no way. Well, my was like, oh, maybe. But my mom absolutely refused. And then I was born. And I was perfectly normal. And so my mom was like, maybe that doctor doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, then my mom got pregnant with my brother. And I'm not going to go into any details because that's his life and he can choose what's posted and whatnot. But basically, the doctor said that based on his ultrasound, he was perfectly normal and fine. No, that's not what happened. So, like, that doctor did not know what he was talking about at all. We went to him twice. And so there was just... It reminds me of this incompetent medical staff. Does that count as a funny story or? 
I just it was a story from before I was even born. So I mean, so I guess it counts as childhood. Pre-childhood. Yeah, there we go. Um. Who? I don't have anything from pre-childhood except my my biological mom was like, "Why the fuck do I have a football in my stomach?" Because my head looked like a football, apparently. <laughs> Compared to the rest of my body, it was like Stewie. <laughs> head bigger than everything else. And she's like, why the fuck do I have a football in my stomach? Um, besides that, that's nothing for my, in- my pre-childhood. Um, childhood. I Growing up, I was the... Um, nothing could, nothing could get me down. Nothing could uh, destroy my sense of pride. Nothing, nothing. Um, if I, if I had a problem with you, you would know. I would come up to your face and I would say your problem or anyone. Um, I still am like that. Um, but we had a nurse at my house who was generally all-around asshole who didn't care about anybody except one child, which was one of my brothers. She loved him to death, I think. Unless she was just weird. Um, which she is. But there was a story between me and her. I was in my... I was actually walking down the hallway, and my brother's in a wheelchair, and an electric wheelchair, and those things are fucking heavy. And yes, they're super heavy. Yeah. And it hurts when you get run over. Yes. It feels like a freaking horse steps on your foot. Actually, a horse step stepping on your foot is a lot worse. But mm, depends on the horse. I've been stepped on by three different ones and it was a completely different experience every time. I got stepped on by the. Uh, hmm. What's those big fluffy foot horses? Clydesdales. Thank you. Welcome. Um, but besides getting, we're getting off track. I'm getting off track. Um, but the, I got, she ran over, she on purposely ran my foot over with the wheelchair. And I know it was on purpose cause I on purposely moved my foot away from the wheel, but she quickly jerked and ran my foot over. And then pa- when, after she was passing by, she, she has fake nails. She had fake nails. I don't know if she does anymore. She doesn't work here, but. She she took her thumb and her pointer finger and jabbed it right into my neck. Ugh. Like at to where the pressure point is, and just stuck it in there and just squeezed. I grabbed her hand. I punched her in the leg, and I said, "Leave this house now, unless you want." unless you want your nails into your neck because I will rip them out of your hand and I will stab it into your neck. She didn't leave, but I didn't get in trouble. My mom actually was happy <laughs> because this nurse had no no respect. She thought my mom was on drugs and she thought I was on drugs. So I'm like, what? How? But this lady was just all around stupid asshole. And hurt me like 50 times. Hmm. 
But I finally got it fired. That's good. Yep. Your turn. Uh huh. Hmm. Ooh. Okay. So there's there is this thing about me that's kind of inexplicable. I have a very very good sense of people. If I meet a person, I know where they're going to end up in life. I know what kind of person they are. I know whether or not I can trust them, all that stuff. And so there's this one time where I just moved back to the United States. I think I was about eight or nine. So my mom had a best friend in high school. Well, the best friend ended up making some unthought through choices and had a kid at 16. Well, then her kid also had a kid at 16. So I was the same age as my mom's best friend's granddaughter because my mom had me at about 31. So um, I'm gonna call her Sarah. That's not her real name, but I'm gonna call her Sarah. So me and my mom and Sarah and my brother all went and uh, my, my mom's friend my mom, me, Sarah, and my brother all went to this um, park and we were walking around. And I remember the, sh- the sandals I was wearing. They were my favorite sandals back then. It was the kind of sandals you bought on Easter. And uh, you, you, they were white because everything on Easter is white and all that. So this must have been after Easter by a couple of weeks. Um, and I remember thinking about Sarah and thinking to myself, if this wasn't a play date of sorts, if this wasn't an arranged meeting, if I was just with her at school or something, if I, if she was my neighbor, anything like that, I would not hang out with her. I don't, I didn't like her. I didn't trust her. Even when she was eight or nine, I just didn't trust her. And so we went, we, we finished the play date and all that. And we both went to our separate homes. Well, I think about three months ago, my mom um, said, hey, you remember Sarah? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, her, her life's kind of taken a bad turn. And I said, oh, really? And it's basically like, hmm, I told you. Well, it turns out that she herself got pregnant at 15. And she also then, the problem was her baby was born on drugs and so he had to be kept in the hospital for almost a full year before they could release him because he was so messed up and I was just like that's that's what I was telling you I don't trust her I would not hang out with her if I had a choice she's not going to end up in a good place in life and I could tell that when she was like eight or nine where do I since you're all knowing where do I end up in life? Mm, you're going to go your own way and you're going to be surprised by a lot of things, but eventually you'll be, you'll be content. Damn it. I was hoping you would say I get to shoot someone. I mean, my German teacher shot somebody in the butt once. Okay. 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 I wonder if that actually hurts as much as getting shot in the leg. It, getting shot hurts, period. 
unless it's in the T zone, and then you just die instantly. You never even feel it. Yeah, but I meant like, does it hurt as much? I don't know. I don't have personal experience with that, so. Could have asked your German teacher. <laughs> well, he wasn't the one who got shot. He's the one who shot the other guy in the butt. Okay. Yeah, uh, the guy was trying to mug him, and he thought it was a prank, so he pulled off the guy's mask. He's like, who are you? Do I know you? Well, no, the guy had a gun, so he punched him. The guy dropped the gun, so he picked up the gun. The guy was running away with his stuff, so he shot the gun, hit him in the butt. He, the police never found him because he managed to get up and go away, but he was still holding the gun when the police showed up, and the woman, um, this is in a very bad part of town, and the woman cop was just like, so he walked up to the woman cop and he was like, do you want this gun? Like, it's evidence. She's like, nah, honey, we ain't ever going to catch him. You go ahead and keep it. <laughs> I was like, okay, then. Well, um, now it's my turn for a funny story. So there's another thing about me um, that it only happens sometimes. But when it, you still there? Yeah, why? Oh, I heard a click. Yeah, I was, um, there's things and I was going to move to a different room, so. Okay, well, so, I have a thing called, that my mom calls, the gay radar. <laughs> and. Gaydar. Yeah, um, and in our heads, me and my mom both do this, we both look around people and in our heads say, like, what we think, what we think they are, and. One time we were, I think it was, I think it was at King Supers, and <laughs> we were, we were looking around, and in our heads we were going like straight, 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 and then we saw this one guy that was gay. There was no way anyone could say that he wasn't, because he was like completely. He was. No, there was just so it, much evidence you couldn't even try. Yeah, and in our heads, before we were going like straight, straight, straight. We looked at him. We both out loud just said, "Gay, gay." We just yelled, <laughs> "Gay, gay," not even realizing. Gay. <laughs> and we, after a while, when we realized it, we felt so bad because the the guy looked at us and we didn't know why. He just looked at us like we were weird. And like, what the fuck's wrong with you? And we didn't know what we, what what we did. And then, then we, then some. I think yeah, it was some staff member came up to us and was like, "That's not nice to yell out that he's gay." I'm like, "We're like what we did." He's like, "Yeah, the whole store could hear you." Oops, sorry, didn't mean to. Yeah, it's and, not a fun story. Well, it's a, it's funny, not really, but I we, I have no funny stories in my head right now. That's okay. Good. You want to hear another 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 example of how I know people? So, I used to play clarinet, and I my cousin very distantly related because we're not actually like direct cousins. It's one of those like third cousins, four times removed situations. And she's about, I want to say 10 years older than me. And she 
is a music major or was then. And so she was in college for music, music education and all that. Her primary instrument was clarinet as well. And so we said, well, I need clarinet lessons. She needs money. Why don't we use her for clarinet lessons instead of some person we don't know? So we did. Um, We're going to call her Jane. That's not her real name. So Jane, um, we met at my grandmother's house um, to have lessons. So we'd meet meet there like once a week. And I didn't really feel comfortable at her lessons, but it wasn't anything big enough for me to say that I don't want to do it again um, because I didn't feel unsafe. I just felt uncomfortable. And then, so we eventually quit lessons with her. And a couple years later, I found out that she's pregnant. So we went to her baby shower because we're family. And I know, but we, we were invited to the baby shower. So we went and I took one look at her I didn't know anything about the story as to how she conceived this child. I just walked into the room that they had the main, um, main party in, took one look at her. It had been about five years since I'd last seen her, maybe three, I don't know, anywhere from three to five. Took one look at her. First of all, she's so large, I couldn't even tell she was pregnant. I couldn't tell the difference. So the only, the only reason I knew she was pregnant was because this was her baby shower. I took one look at her. I looked around. There was no guy standing next to her. So I'm thinking, uh-oh. And then I look at um, her more closely. And I turn to my mom and I say, we need to get that kid out of that house now. He cannot grow up in her household with her as a mother. My mom was like, why? And I said, I don't know. I can't explain it, but he can't. And, well, he was born. The father's not in the picture, doesn't even pay support or anything, isn't on the birth certificate, none of that. Um, So the kid was born. We're going to call him Max. That's also not his real name. So Max was born. It was immediately clear that there there was something wrong with Max because he was so large. He he's only five years old right now, but he's five feet tall. So we, they knew immediately that there was something wrong because he was in like six month old um, clothes at two months. And so that, that was something that they, that clued them in. Another thing that clued them in was that he seemed to be developing normally, but then around age one and a half, two, he just went silent. Didn't talk to anybody. Didn't want to look at anybody. Didn't want to be touched by anybody. None of that. And so my mom is immediately like, okay, first of all, he has a growth disorder that needs to be checked out because there might be something causing it that could give him bigger problems. And then she said, second of all, he most likely has autism. So he's going to need special care. Well, the woman decided, I'm calling her Jane. She decided to move to um, middle of uh, nowhere in uh, some state USA, literally a country. I mean, a, (laughs) um, a, a city so rural that if there was even an inch of snow the school had to close down because there was a um, winding mountain road that the school buses couldn't go through because it was one lane not two lanes like one lane each way no one lane so you had to take turns going across it and it was not well enough paved for them to drive over it if there was even an inch of snow or an inch of water And so if it rained hard or if it snowed at all, 
school was shut down. There was no hospital within 20 miles, which I thought immediately was a red flag because your kid's going to need special care. So you need a hospital close. And, um, and she didn't even like take a music education job. It was, she was so desperate for employment that she took teaching second graders how to play um, recorder job. And so like, I get that it, it, it's a good first step, but don't move your entire family out to some podunk city to do that. You know what I mean? Like that's not the best opportunity for your family. Well, she did. Um, and then she started going through every single man in the town. There were only about five. And so then like immediately people figured out that she was not the best, um, not the best person and they didn't like her. And so she almost got fired from her teaching job. She only kept it because they didn't, they couldn't find anybody to, f- to fill it. Um, and then she decided to move her whole family out there. Well, the problem is her mother is blind, completely blind. She had um, a tumor on her optic nerves. Um, it wasn't malignant. It was benign, but it still destroyed her optic nerves. So she can't see, like wave a hand and run your face, can't see jack crap blind. The father is, has so much, has so many medical conditions that he is like 700 pounds and is bedridden permanently. Like if they want to take him in an ambulance to the hospital, they have to actually call the veterinary clinic first and get the ambulance for large animals. So that's not the best place to keep Max because she couldn't afford um, daycare for him. So she was moving her family there so that they could care for him while she was at work. Well, how is a dude that's stuck in his bed and a woman who's blind going to care for a kid that is larger than he should be and has autism. So his behavior can't really be like, um, what's the word? Like expected. I don't, I don't know. Like, like he does things that are unexpected. Can't really be planned for. So that was, that was a huge red flag right there. Well, then not three months after they all moved there, sold their old house, managed to get um, the mother and father over there, managed to get them moved into this tiny apartment, all that. Not three months after all that, she got fired and quit her job, like almost at the same time. So the, the, the school didn't want her anymore. They were fed up and she didn't want the school anymore. She was fed up. So they both kind of said, uh-uh, at the same time. Well, now she's stuck in podunk usa and she's there with her blind mother and her bedridden father and her autistic very large son and now they want to move back to where we are and i'm like um uh you're not moving in with us (laughs) nope and Basically, my entire family was just like holding up their hands and backing away like, no, I'm not doing it. And basically, it was, I just, that kid is in such a bad situation. It's not the worst ever, but it's not a kind of situation where he can grow up and be the best that he can be because she believes he can do no wrong, the mother. And so... The problem is he's temperamental. That's just how he is. And so if he acts out, she says, no, it was the other kids in the daycare, which she tried to get him into like this preschool type thing for kids with special needs. 
and she got him in, but then they expelled him because they couldn't deal with the mom anymore. Basically, he bit somebody, and she said, no way, that's not my kid. He wouldn't bite somebody. And she made such a big stink about it that they said, you know what, fine. You, you, I, we can't school your kid anymore. And so he's getting no mainstream education. He's not going to be able to join mainstream society at any point in time near in the near future because he needs specialized care. His grandma and grandpa can't do anything to help him. His mom isn't willing to do what needs to be done to help him because she thinks he can do no wrong and he's perfect. And I'm just sitting there watching all this drama unfold over the course of two years, five years. Just time keeps going by. I'm just watching all this drama unfold and I'm just looking at my mom and I'm going, I told you so. (laughs) This is not a pretty picture. And then she says, well, yeah, somebody eventually will call CPS. And I said, why can't you? There's this kid who's living alone with a blind grandmother and a completely bedridden grandfather. They can't take care of him. And so I just, I knew immediately that he shouldn't be kept in that house. Understandable. Yep. Well, we kind of failed at the funny story, but I'll just rename it to stories. Yeah, that's okay. Um, I think I am going to end it here because we're getting up there and I'm out of stories that are appropriate. Um, <laughs> so I think I'm going to end it here. We will you, tune in for our next episode. The podcast you just heard was published with Anchor. Got something you want to say to the creator of this show? Send them a voice message using the Anchor app free for iOS and Android.